This is Creative Banter. Despite being a bit brain dead, both Ben and I worked through this week's conversation, talking about a variety of topics that somehow fit together. We start things off by discussing the use of shallow focus and what Ben calls the pirate method to aid in composition creation. Continuing to speak on finding unique compositions, we talk about the passage of time and finding stories in nature, as well as writing about your photographs. And given two recent camera announcements, we discuss those a bit as well. Let's dive right into it, shall we? thing since yesterday as i was saying before we got recording with the film from acadia yeah which it's it's weird to it's weird to know that this is coming out a week after like today's episode and not be able to talk about like oh what photographs am i actually happy with and which ones am i keeping but is it is it still just drying in the closet or have you put it in any sleeves or anything i yet? have four sheets that are still drying in the closet um i'll be putting them in the sleeves after i'm done here and then the rest are in sleeves. They're not actually organized how I usually do them right now, though. So yeah, typically when I organize my film, I'm doing because I do sleeves of uh, four sheets each, and uh, each of those I'll put a date to, and I'll put like general area of where I photographed. And so mm-hmm. since I was only really fit, taking one, one or two photographs at different locations throughout each day, then. It's going to be a couple. They're going to be separated quite a bit. Well, you're more organized than I am. Mine just go in a, goes in a box and I just label it somewhat for the trip. Yeah. And if I, if I need to refer back to something, I'll, I'll look back to the videos because that's the ultimate and uh, remembering where stuff was taken and, and a little more of the, the backstory of the trip and such. Yeah. For me, it's just I refer back to behind the scene photos that I had taken. That's why I take them just so that way I can have the dates correct with it. Not like that stuff really matters. I yeah. mean, when I first started yeah. with uh, with film in general, but especially with 4x5, at that point, I was keeping track of like what settings I used and that kind of thing. But I kind of fell off from that because at the end of the day, for me, it didn't mean anything. Like, didn't really matter. Yeah. And, and after a while, it just becomes a matter of instinct. And um, I mean, I, I know that for like some darkroom stuff, yeah, that, that sort of stuff makes a difference, but, um, I, I think at a certain point you just kind of know what's going to work right and you don't really have to really rely on past experiences and such, yeah. uh, for that kind of information. And for most of my photographs, like I mentioned, I pretty much use F32 for almost everything. It's kind of rare that I am stopping down anymore or opening up any more than that. Even though I, I yeah. do know, and I might explore using it a little bit more, there's one older photographer who I'm blanking on the name right now. He does a lot of like quiet photography type of scenes, and he was shooting more wide open, more like F11, F16, hmm. just to get that separation from subject matter. Yeah. So I might try that. Was it was it woodland stuff or what? What type of subjects was yeah, it? Yeah, it was woodland stuff. Um, it was John Sexton. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with his uh, one or two of his books that I have from him, and he just will open up the lens a little bit more. That way, you get that 
you focus more on the forefront trees and the back kind of fall off a little bit more without having to rely on fog or uh, snowfall or any of that kind of misty conditions. Hmm. I think Simon Baxter does something similar as well with a lot of his photographs. I don't think he's really stopping down much to get everything sharp, but I could be wrong in that. Interesting, because I mean, I've, I've experimented with that a little bit, and maybe it's because of the type of subjects I shoot and, and where I shoot, but to me, it always looks like a mistake after the fact. It doesn't look like a intentional choice, an artistic choice. It just looks like, yeah, it just it doesn't it doesn't look quite right. Um, <laughs> so I I don't know. I mean I but I haven't tried it in more of a woodland sort of environment. So I I always just try to try to get the most important stuff in focus. It's, it's interesting to hear that it, you think of it more of as a mistake with your pieces, but again, probably because of subject matter. I don't think you really notice it quite as much if you're in the woodland, especially when it comes to like just taking general photographs of all the standing trees and that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that it's not as noticeable as if you have like, I don't know, a tree in front of the sandstone wall and yeah. the wall happens to be out slightly out of focus or isn't and there. In that case, I mean, yeah, there, there's... I. I will often take, you know, if I'm taking a photo of a tree against a wall or something like that, oftentimes the wall is just a little bit out of focus, um, enough where you do, yeah, you, you do get a little bit of separation from it, but it, it's enough in focus where it looks natural as opposed to, you know, taking it more wide open where things really just go really out of focus very, very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there, I think there's another uh, angle to this as well, which is perhaps it's a matter of my own perception of you know looking at the ground glass because i know that not many people have looked through well looked at the ground glass of a large format camera be it four by five or eight by ten um and and i think this is especially true for eight by ten where it looks three-dimensional because you're getting two eyes with slightly different perspective on it so if i have a little bit of a shallow depth of field in a photo and i'm setting it up it looks three-dimensional looks amazing but then when you actually take the photo and you look at the photo you're just back to two dimensions again. Yeah. And so maybe part of it is just the experience of seeing how dimensional how dimensional it looked on the ground glass with that shallow depth of field, but then to see the actual photo where it just, it's a little bit of a letdown and maybe it's my own comparative experience of that where I just see that shallower depth of field as a little bit more of a negative thing where it's not quite what, I had seen by looking at the ground glass. Yeah. Interesting. I'm pretty sure I got it from you, from your videos at some point a couple of years ago of uh, closing your one eye or covering your one eye when you're looking at a scene yeah. to see if it's actually going to work, if that separation is there the that you actually method. want. Yes. <laughs> <Pirate> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what I call it. I, I, yeah. It, that's, I mean, it will tell you right away whether a scene is going to work as a photo or not. So I do that all the time. That's it. Definitely is a very useful technique. I haven't used it too much recently, but every time that I consciously remember about using it, and when I really am unsure about a scene if it's going to work out, yeah, it definitely comes in handy. It's nice. Yeah, one of those little things that you pick up over time. Yeah, I I just do that without even thinking about it. Now, I mean, usually the first thing I do if I'm just walking along and I see something pretty good, first thing I do is just is just close an eye and look at it in two dimensions. And it gives you all the answers you need. 
just in a split second between that and then the framing tool I use, which also very much benefits from closing an eye. That way it's just, you can have a clearer view at it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's those small things that, that just tell you so much. And that's the sort of stuff that I didn't know early on when I was first getting into photography, but it's just the little, the little tips and, and I hate to say tips and tricks, but the, <laughs> the techniques you learn along the way that, uh, that make all the difference when, when trying to find a composition. How do you go about using that, uh, focusing, uh, square or whatever you call it? The, oh, the framing device? Yeah. The framing uh, device. In terms in what way in terms of like different focal lengths or anything in particular? Yeah, more so about different focal lengths because like I've thought about getting one and I've thought about using one, but I'm, it's weird to try and figure out where your arm has to be, like how to hold it to get that focal length equivalent and like, yeah, so. Well, I think it's one of the things where the more you use it, the more you become familiar with it and then you, you build that muscle memory. My most commonly used lens is a 240 millimeter, which is about the same uh, focal length as what in the standard camera on the iPhone will show. And so I just learned that um, with a framing device, I just touch it against my nose. And then that's basically my 240. I hold it, you know, just a little bit further away. That's a 300. Uh, it doesn't have to be absolutely like 100% accurate. It just gives you pretty much a ballpark feeling. Um, so it's not a matter of of having complete precision with it. Mm-hmm. It just gets you thinking and it's enough where I can look at a scene. I typically know what focal length I'm already looking at, but I pull that out and I can get a little better feeling for which lens to pull out to, whether it's between like 240 or 300, but it's, it's just muscle memory. I think when you find a potential subject, you use a framing device to evaluate a potential composition then you set up your camera then you see what the camera actually looks at and then you kind of look through the framing device again it kind of allows you to ca- calibrate that muscle memory but gotcha. it's by far the most useful piece of non-specific photo equipment that i carry i suppose one of the big reasons why i haven't picked one up yet is because i'm only using one lens so i kind of have over the years really yeah you have like it built that, in yeah. yeah with that muscle memory it's just I can look at a scene and get a, at least a general sense of, all right, if I want this, this, and this in the composition, then I need to put my tripod roughly here. And I'm pretty yeah. pretty accurate with that. Yeah. And I find it's important to, once you, I mean, I'll use it to roughly see what a composition will be, but then I'll just kind of slowly move through the scene with that and see if how the dynamics of the various subjects within that composition change. And as, as an example, um, uh, on the Discord for the previous episode, um, I had uh, posted a couple pictures from my iPhone of a subject I photographed. And it's a scene with this fallen uh, juniper, and then there's some wildflowers around it, and there's the scene when I actually shot it, and then when I went back 19 days later, as we talked about in the last episode, and it was just all dead. But that picture's on the Discord right now for episode 59. Um, but when I was looking through the framing device for that scene, there was a variety of different ways to compose that. But I found that there was a very specific place I could stand. And then you get, a, it, it accentuated the curve of that fallen tree in a way where if the camera was positioned maybe about 
I don't know, an inch or so to the left, you don't see that curve of the branch anymore. And, and I realized right away that that was a very important part of that composition to make it more dynamic. And if I had just set up my camera, I think I wouldn't have realized the importance of that. Um, so once I get things dialed in, you look through there and then you, you see how the various like lines and shapes and everything in the composition play off each other. And then I'll take, I'll usually take a picture of it with my iPhone from that specific angle. And then when I'm under the um, dark cloth, I kind of re refer back to that picture on the iPhone just to make sure that the spacing is pretty good and I'm capturing what I want. Um, but I think it's really a combination of that tool plus having my phone with me for the scouting pictures. Mm -hmm. um, I think that really helps to build more of a sense of satisfaction with that I'm shooting really what I'm setting out to. Yeah, I just opened up the Discord channel and was looking at the photos that you had posted on there. And wow, that definitely, that is a major difference. Yeah. Even just looking at the two of them, like flipping back and forth and seeing what like uh -huh. the color of the tree, how drastically that changed, just yeah, how much is hidden from the tree. Yeah, I thought that the 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 wildflowers i thought the green parts would still be alive at least maybe like the uh the flowers would be kind of dead but maybe there'd still be you know some of the plants there but everything was just gone i mean it was almost unrecognizable um i mean if not for the, you know knowing exactly where i was standing and knowing where that you know fallen tree trunk was i mean i i would have walked right past it and i i wouldn't have even known it was there so it was it was absolutely amazing how much of a difference it made. And so that was, it was really interesting to go back and to, to see that. And that kind of goes, I remember, I don't remember exactly what episode it was, but I remember before we had talked about those photographers who go out and make those photographs of the same location, same composition, like throughout the years, yeah. throughout the seasons. And that, yeah, that really shows why you were able to do that and still come away with photographs that are drastically different each time, even if, it, yeah. even if it's the same exact composition, even if it's the same elements, everything is the same except for that passing of time. That's crazy. Now, as a black and white photographer, are you looking at the, uh, the dead scene going like, oh, I see potential there? <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, because like the 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 branches of the of the uh, tree trunk and everything, it has more form to it in black and white. Because who needs color? There's, um, are are you familiar with the the Comp Stomps uh, account on Instagram? Yeah, I was at one point. Um, so lately, there's there's been a few of them on there, just like you know a a, a rainbow. And then it's like, you know, black and white photographers. Oh, that's gross. And then it just shows it in just complete grayscale. Like, ah, so much better. <laughs> and also no, one with like wildflowers, just beautiful field of wildflowers. And then black and white photographer. Oh, no, no. And then it just shows it is basically all the same shade of gray. <laughs> um, but it, it does show how, you know, as a color photographer, a scene like that with the wildflowers and everything, you know, everything was just clicking. I have the visual contrast I want between the, the, the branch and, or between the fallen uh, tree and then all the wildflowers. But, you know, for a black and white photographer, you can roll up at midday and then just work with the form of everything. It doesn't matter that everything is all dead because it's just, it's all about the, uh, the fallen tree trunk at that point. Anyways. Yeah. But I think you lose the story. And for me, that's what it's really all about is that 
that story of yeah the wildflowers in bloom around something that has died and is helping to supplement the life of the wildflowers themselves so then as soon as the those wildflowers are gone as soon as they're dead then it's kind of like oh well yeah the texture is still there yeah i could photograph this and it has nice texture to it but it still loses that that story that i want yeah and that's something that i really want to explore more with too um it was funny you mentioned about wildflowers and like in black and white because when i go out to colorado apparently the wildflowers are going to be in bloom or should be and uh i guess i'll be photographing some of those here and there in black and white so the some of the ones up there i mean some of the the form on them i I guess like the the corn lilies i'm sure they have those up there they always have such good form to them Um, i don't know if those are going to be already done for the season or or if they're they're still going to be up there but there's there's definitely some really good stuff to work with and you certainly have some good creative control with the color filters and such to you know build some of that contrast though if, if anything i would imagine wind will be your enemy up there at times uh that's they they always just like to just kind of flutter around in the in the breeze a little bit and you know and showing some degree of imperfection like that is is fine uh, i think when things just go overboard you know you can't even take a picture of things get a little frustrating at times but there's there's usually enough of a break in the wind yeah yeah we'll see how it goes but like i was saying mostly i want to start implementing more story into my photographs so to speak and not only through what i photograph but also taking a note from Andrew Baruffi, who we mentioned uh, last episode, and supplementing writing with photography a lot more directly than I have done already, which is, I think, is something that all photographers, all artists could benefit from, is writing about their work, even if they don't publish it, even if they don't share it with anyone, just to kind of have that. But I was reading through some of the entries that he has in his book, and just really thinking about, oh, well, how can I do this? How can I start implementing this into my own workflow of being able to sit down with an image and reflect on not only the image itself, but that day, that 20 minute or even five minute stint where I was taking this photograph? Because there's really a lot there. And once you start doing story, more story focused photographs, like the showing the juxtaposition of life and death and this general circle of life and that story there's a lot that you can really explore there yeah do you have any thoughts on how you're going to go about doing that i'm not sure yet that's tomorrow's project so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's tomorrow's project while i edit in in andrew's book and in, in if if people listening to this haven't already purchased andrew's book i'm sure you'll have it linked to in the in the show absolutely. notes absolutely um, they should absolutely go out and and get the book because it, it's fascinating because each photo is paired with, as you're saying, you know, the story behind that photo, um, kind of what was what was going on, what he was thinking, kind of kind of go back in time to that. And I was absolutely blown away with how much detail he has about the events. For me, it all becomes a blur. So it definitely goes to show that he is, you know, keeping track of everything and the motivations behind everything. But it's it's easy enough when you when you turn each page, you know, you'll see the the photo on the right, and then you'll see um, the text on the left. And obviously the natural inclination is to look at that photo right away and then to read the text. But then when you go back to the photo again after reading the text, you'll see it in a different light. Yeah. 
Um, and it adds even more meaning to it. I mean, the photo itself, if it's hanging on a wall in a gallery, you will be able to put your own meaning into it. I mean, you can um, tr try to figure out kind of what it was about that scene that attracted him to it as a photographer. And in some cases, you have a little bit of a, a feel for it. But when you read the text, it gives so much more depth to that image in a way that, you know, makes it just even more powerful. And so I really did enjoy that about his, his book. And I can also appreciate how much work goes into that because it's a lot of writing to, to go into it. And also a lot of remembering specifically, you know, what was happening at that point in time and then and the motivations behind the work. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing with that from what he's said about it is he already had everything written down. He had everything laid out because he's, it's not like he's going back. If I go to about, about doing this, it's going to be me thinking back what could be years for some of my photographs just to kind of catch yeah. up in a sense. Um, whereas with him, he's been doing this since he started doing photography in Zion when he had that uh, major mental uh, health issue spire up, the depression that he was dealing with. And uh, mm -hmm. so he started writing about that and he'd take a photograph and maybe a day or two later is when he would do these, these writings. So when he came out with this book, it was just like everything was there. Everything was super easy in that sense to have all that content together. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's great so far from what I've read. I've maybe 30 pages into it, something like that. So about a third of the way. And it's definitely yeah. inspiring. It's definitely amazing to see that transition of like, because he went from the very beginning of talking strictly about or more focusing on his mental health and how his mind is doing that day to then talking more about just the general day itself and like he even throws in oh i sat down on this rock for a couple minutes and had a cup of coffee and munched on a donut or whatever like yeah exploring that side of the reality of photographing in in that part yeah and it shows the the healing power of nature um and just being out in that environment and and especially i think zion is so perfect for that because if if anyone's been to zion at least in the sort of the quieter spots where you just go out and just have some time to yourself there's something about those towering canyon walls that kind of envelop you that kind of it's it's like it's giving you a big hug <laughs> <laughs> so one certainly one of the reasons i i love going there just the the sound of the river the sound of the 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 wind through the leaves uh, the light as it changes um, this is such a very special place. So of, of everything, I mean, it's, it's great that he, uh, at the time lived very close to Zion where he could just visit so often, uh, cause it truly is, is a special place. Yeah. It seems that I think my girlfriend and I were talking while in Acadia, we were thinking about our next trip and where we want to go and what we want to do. I think I'm going to be heading out that way next year. Oh, cool. Yeah. Any, any, any feeling for the time of year that it would be? Unfortunately, it would probably be toward end of June, um, just because of her with work. And if she ends up doing that country concert again next year and all of that. So, uh, we'll see exactly what happens, but I want to spend a solid two weeks out there. So yeah. we'll be probably find a nice little town to rent a hotel in and stay for two weeks and then 
hit up Zion for the most part. Uh, probably see Bryce Canyon and some of the other ones. Avoid arches like the plague. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like dealing with that. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, yeah. Just a little bit different of a trip. Probably fly out instead of drive because I don't know that I want to make that drive. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, something else to look forward to. Finally see what the West Side is all about. Yeah. And, and, and even though June is certainly a popular time, a busy time in a place like Zion, it takes very little effort to get off the beaten path. And you can have some of these side canyons all to yourself. And, you know, once you're just a little away from the road, then you're just, you know, hearing the, the wind through the pine trees, the, the, the bird calls, everything else that's going on. And it, it takes very minimal effort to, to find that quiet sort of place um, and just to wander around and to explore um, just as long as it's not crazy hot because then you just can't escape that. And that's, that does get a, a little bit miserable at times. Um, so hopefully the, the weather will be on your side if, uh, if you guys make it out there. With the heat too, that's the nice thing about not camping. And the biggest reason why I don't want to camp yet. Yeah, you're not, you're not uh, going to be living that in way it 24-7. Yeah, I don't want a repeat of last year with uh, the Smokies and 80-degree weather where I can't shower and humidity and just, yeah, not, not fun. Yeah, <laughs> when we were passing through that area, um, we, it was probably in the uh, mid-80s or so. And then about a week after we got back, um, I think it was about 108 in Zion. And oh boy! Yeah, yeah. And, and even in the shade, you're just you're just sweltering. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, the, the you know the the winter, the spring, the fall are, are certainly um, preferable, but it's beautiful there any time of year. And also with the flexibility of, of being in a hotel, then at least uh, you can have a little bit of an escape if it's a bit on the warm side. But it'd be fascinating to, if, if that trip eventually happens, it'd be fascinating to hear your perspective on the place. Because um, I certainly remember my first time driving through there and it was basically just a matter of like sensory overload. There's just so much stuff going on. I, I guess it's kind of like, being in a woodland, but in a, in a different sort of grander environment where instead of it's just all the trees and stuff, it's just all these, you know, sandstone cliffs everywhere. And no matter where you look, you're just seeing more detail and texture. And, and it's, it's a very awe-inspiring sort of place to visit. I'm also curious to see how I'm going to like receive the lack of trees. As much as it's like, as you say, it's chaotic in the sense of there's so much to see and take in. Yeah. At the same time, I'm wondering, like, it's not, it's definitely not the same chaos as what I'm used to with the woodland. Yeah. In terms of like lacking separation with certain photographs and that kind of thing. So I'm curious how that uh, changes my perception as well. And also, I very rarely see black and white work from Zion. Um, I think it is such a color heavy place and just the way that the light is, the way that the subjects are. I, it's not too common I see black and white work there. And so that would also be a fascinating twist uh, to see what sort of subjects you're able to come up with when you have that perspective of never having been there before where everything, you know, is is so new and fresh and different because it'll certainly be a, a different 
perspective than I'm accustomed to. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to it, but I can't look forward to it that much because I don't know if it'll actually happen. Yeah. We have so many other trips that we want to do and so many other things. Yeah. It's definitely on the top of the list and she seems okay with going out that way, especially as long as we're in a hotel and don't have to worry about making a long drive. But it's going to be interesting even more so to fly with film if that ends up happening. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not something that I... Thankfully, I, I haven't had to deal with that. I know that for some people, they kind of figure out a system, it all works fine, but it's just one more hassle, one more thing to, to stay on top of when there's so many other things to stay on top of as well. Yeah. Um, so that, that would certainly be uh, be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, I already told her, I'm like, if we're doing this, I need to get there like an hour earlier and we need to hope like hell that I get a nice TSA agent who can is actually understanding of what I'm doing and why I can't have my stuff go through yeah. the uh, through the x-ray machines and such. Yeah, we'll see what happens. How's the prep going for your, your upcoming uh, trip to Colorado? It's not. <laughs> I have done nothing to prep for that yet. <laughs> I don't really think that there's like a ton that I need yeah. to prep for, but I mean, that's kind of, that's stuff that I will be worrying about probably next week and the beginning of the week before I leave. Um, yeah. I mean, I have still have that box of 25 sheets, still have probably about 15 sheets from my other box. Um, so in terms of film, I'm, I'm okay. Or at least I hope. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then the only other thing that I need need to do besides obviously like packing and doing the normal non-photography stuff is, um, I need to go through my Rico and format that card. I need to make sure that all the photographs are dumped onto my hard drive and then go from there, which I'm currently working through a little bit with my photos from Acadia. I just transferred those over to my hard drive, ended up with 212 photographs from the trip. So that's interesting. I mean, it's not, it's not a huge number, I think by the standards of people with shoot digital, but it's, it's a pretty high number for, you know, coming from a film shooting perspective. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. a different style of photography, um, but that's, it's almost even more than I was thinking it would be. I was thinking like, you'd be like, oh, I got like 60 pictures I shot on the Rico, but, um, but it'll, it'll be interesting uh, as you go, as you work through those yeah. images. I, right now I did some base edits for a couple of them, mainly the photographs that I had taken of my girlfriend, just in various locations and just to get an idea of what's all there. Um, there are some that quite a few, actually, I was taking photographs of my girlfriend's, uh, family members. They have a dog and taking photographs of him. And some of them were like, or actually most of them were back focused, which is really weird. They like didn't catch focus with on Hmm. him, which is disappointing to see. But, and I thought that I would have caught that look because I was reviewing them here and there. But I guess I didn't. So, but yeah, they're out of the 212. I'll probably end up at least down to like 75, if not 50, if I throw together this ebook of them. So cool, cool. That's it'll give you something to to work on through the through the summer months. Now that uh, you you have a little little less on your yeah. plate for the time being, I'll do that little ebook, and I'll also do one probably of whatever photographs I make while in Colorado with a Rico another like discovery of place kind of thing 
probably just do that for each of my trips from now on and see what happens with it. It'd be a nice little coming together project of everything. Maybe throw in whatever portfolio worthy four by five photographs I end up taking as well as a kind of like end of the book sort of deal, maybe. We'll see what happens, but looking forward to playing around more with ebooks here and there. When my wife and I went on our trip, um, I took along, I have this uh, little Sony RX100, and I forget which generation it is, but it used to be the one I'd use for doing the backpacking video, but then they came out with the, the ZV-1 that has the mic jack and other stuff like that. So now I just use that other little camera just as like a little pocket camera. Um, but I brought that along on the trip and basically just used it for higher quality snapshots. I mean, nothing really very serious, even though, you know, the image quality is actually pretty good on it. Um, but just because it's got the little flippy screen so we can like stand in front of a waterfall and take pictures and stuff like that. But I, I never really felt inclined to use it for anything other than that, really. Um, but it's, you know, it's a good little good little camera and, and something that like when we went to Hawaii, I brought that along as well. So it's better better than a cell phone, um, but use it mostly just as like a point and shoot. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about the Ricoh as well. Not something that I would ever really consider using for my main photography kit, but nice to be able to have and pull out and use that's more of a comfortable focal length than my phone has, but and better quality than it, but still. Do we have any uh, any interesting topics of, of, of choice from the Discord or from the lists or anything we have? From the list, we have different cameras that are coming out or being built up. The first one that I saw is a modular large format camera that's designed to grow with you, apparently. So how does that work? So it's from Andu Iken. I believe I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. I don't know. <laughs> but it's they say that it's designed to grow with photographers thanks to its modular design. It's available with a 4x5, regular 4x5 back. And it kind of has three different modules. So there's standard, range, and panoramic. Is is it like one of these like 3D printed kind of? I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to picture like what what it is. I don't know if it's 3D printed. Actually, it looks kind of in line with how um, how Intrepid makes theirs. But the standard setup is the lightest version of the camera and includes a rigid back and a movable front standard. They claim that it's perfect for a lightweight setup that will fit most large format photographic adventures. And then for macro photography or long focal length lenses, the range module includes longer bellows and a rear sliding rail, which increases the... Okay, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it looks kind of like just a normal camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can swap between the range module and the panoramic module on a regular basis without any tools and the panoramic module gives i think it's four by ten yeah four by ten so i don't really don't really understand the point of it so it looks like the back just swaps out for different formats is that kind of the back and the I mean, bellows that's, that's what it's yeah. yeah so between the standard i feel like and the range yeah. or and panoramic it's like the back and the bellows change out and then the panoramic and the range it's just the back that changes out and the other thing that I saw that was weird about it is the bellows are clipped on just pretty much with magnets, which makes it really easy to switch like them. But there's no yeah. seals to it. There's nothing to ensure that it's not going to, that you're not going to get light leaks. So yeah. 
Yeah, I'm not sure how to feel about it. Obviously not something that I would plan on getting, but it's nice to see different options, I guess. Yeah. It's just it's a little weird to uh especially with the price point. The after pre-orders, the price is around I think 950, which is quite high compared to Intrepid, but obviously a bit lower compared to something better like Chamonix or Shenhao. So, yeah, I mean it's always interesting to see other other options out there. Um I don't know. Oftentimes, if there's one thing that's designed to do a variety of different things, it's not usually quite as good at that one thing. But I mean, I, I see how they can have it be a modular sort of setup. But I think there's a lot more to it with large format because now you got different film holders and this and that and different film stocks. It's, I think, not quite as easy as just, you know, snapping on a different set of bellows and a different rear standard. But, um, but it's always interesting to see, you know, different approaches to, to stuff like that. And one of the other cameras that, is being revived is the wide lux which i don't know if you've that's definitely one i think people have a little bit of a there's a bit of a cult following uh, after those ones yeah have you ever used one before i haven't i've 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 seen them but i've never worked with them yeah so apparently jeff bridges joined forces with uh silver green classics the magazine uh, who does obviously a lot with film over in germany they have a lot of connections so they are bringing together a modern version of the wide lux camera that was last produced in 2000. Yeah. And it's, it's a very unique camera because uh, for, for those listening, basically the lens kind of like swivels as it exposes the film. So it, it takes a panoramic image, but by moving the lens, it, it, very interesting design to it, um, which, you know, if you have a very stationary subject, all is well. Um, if you have some, some movement, things can be a little weird. Uh, but it's, it's a very, very fascinating concept for sure. Yeah. Like I said, Jeff Bridges absolutely loves the camera. He uses it quite extensively. Um, and it, it's really what he is, his photography outside of his acting and everything is known for. Not something that I would really find a use for, but you can do some really creative stuff with it. Some of the photographs that he's taken, one that I just happened to see was uh, a photograph of I believe it's Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. It's Chris Hemsworth with two facial expressions, kind of same composition on both sides of the, of the film. Uh, yeah. yeah. It leads to creativity, that's for yes, sure. Yes, definitely. And there are other cameras that are coming out. I think, obviously, Pentax is still working on theirs. A couple different announcements that I saw in passing. Like I said, it's always good, even if it's not something that you or I are interested in or even half of our listeners are interested in, but it's good to see things being brought back or continuing on with different techniques just keep everything alive i hope you enjoyed our creative banter you can learn more about cody's work by visiting his website codyschultz.com and you can find my work at benhorn.com for further discussion Join us at patreon.com slash creative banter. It's a place where we can interact with you, the listener. And although we greatly appreciate those who contribute by joining a tier, discussions are open to everyone, whether you're a paying member or not. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you around next time. <laughs>